This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, hanging out, Ray Harkins, with you. That, that, wasn't, the, that wasn't in the right order, right? <laughs> Anyways... What we do with the show is uh, talk about independent music with people who are creating it, whether they're in bands, whether they're putting out records, whether they're doing publicity behind those records, or if they've been attached to this beautiful punk, hardcore, indie rock scene and have taken those principles and apply it to their daily lives and are doing cool artistic things around it. So yeah, hopefully that's a uh, nice description of what we got going on here. And we have a third time guest on the show, Mr. Buddy Nielsen, my old friend who has appeared, like I said, twice on the show. And now this will make his third time. He basically hit me up because uh, since fails a new record coming out on Pure Noise, and it's a spectacular record, by the way, if you have not listened to any of the songs, please just simply Google it. You will be able to find it anywhere you uh, have the Internet. But it's a really, really good record because basically it combines their sort of old hardcore or not old hardcore stuff. They're more recent hardcore stuff and they're older, you know, poppier uh, offerings. And it's just uh, it's a really, really good record. So Buddy hits me up because, uh, you know, we're friends and we were talking. It was like, this, this makes sense. You should come on the show again because, uh, yeah, you want to talk about your new record. But most importantly, you want to talk about, you know, life because uh, he has a kid now and there's just a lot of interesting things. So you'll hear us kind of dive into the conversation because, uh, you know, we're just catching up like friends. And uh, I had recently uh, sprained my ankle pretty badly, still still recovering from it. And so uh, you'll hear us talking about, uh, you know, b- being old <laughs> and, and injuring yourself. And then we kind of get into the conversation about, um, yeah. You know, mortality and all those other fun things, right? <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let's talk about some things that you need to know about, right? That's what you're here to be educated, become a, a scholar in all things that are cool. Well, maybe, maybe that's not the best description, but you need to know about Rockabilia.com. So if you buy band merch, which I am guessing you do, I've got so many band shirts, it's absurd. And so I would like to consider myself somewhat of an expert. And I have ordered off rockabilly.com, and it is a great website. You can find everything from the heaviest band to the softest band and everything in between. They have over like half a million items for sale. Shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, long sleeves, whatever you can think of, they have it. And it's officially licensed, too. So it's not getting some horrific bootleg that uh, will fade out in the wash and ultimately... The bands get paid. This is officially licensed stuff. And that's a huge, huge component about what Rockabilia does and why they care so much about, you know, supporting the artists because they're paying them money. And that's a uh, that's not what the bootleggers do. So you can get 15 percent off using my code PC 100 words or less. So please. And that's the number 100. So dive in there. Do it. Tell them that this show particularly sent you and you will be able to. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, basically, I'm kind of like buying buying maybe two sleeves on your, your short sleeve shirt. OK, <laughs> but I'm just giving you a discount. All right. And uh, I also have to talk about our awesome web partners, noecho.net. Great website. They've got a lot of cool stuff in relation to punk and hardcore in-depth interviews. Uh, I basically I feel like it's the uh, counterpart to what we do here auditorily. They do from a visual slash word perspective. So that is that. And we also I, I will have an interview with uh, Carlos, the proprietor of said website, where we do a really, really fun buried treasure episode, which uh, I'll tell you about a little bit later. OK, 
So, yeah, like I said, buddy, new census fail records coming out, pure noise records, uh, order it, listen to it and support the work that buddy does because, um, I just feel like it's important. He is a prolific artist. He's been at this for quite some time and I just think that, uh, what he does is awesome. So that's uh, no more preamble. Let's dive right into the conversation. Like I said, you'll be hearing us kind of talking midstream about, uh, my, my hurt ankle and growing older. And, uh, that's where you're going to be left. Okay. So let's listen to a little bit of a song that is called green jacket, gold jacket, who gives a shit. That's off the new pure noise release from senses fail. And, uh, yeah, here it is. I think that probably has to do with with um you know the uh laziness factor more than anything else you know <laughs> it's like they feel yeah bad. they feel bad they're like oh i'm not being active so yeah you can't do this because you reach a certain age it's like huh well yeah i mean yeah you have to treat your body differently but you don't need to like complain. no stop right. i mean hockey hockey players play routinely into their 40s yeah and hockey is not like a soft sport you know what i mean like it's it's <laughs> no. it's they're routinely playing into their 40s because because they can i mean you can you keep you, you, you some some sports you can't you know what i mean like football or like yeah i don't know even basketball is like there's such a high level of skill like on and off on like an nba level you know what i mean like oh yeah there's always going to be some 19 year old that's just like smokes everybody right of course yeah and that's just the nature of the game but like with hockey you can be like a 45 year old veteran and still like be smashing people (laughs) (laughs) no totally and yeah of course you do have to change the way that you approach a sport no matter what as you age through it but it doesn't yeah it doesn't preclude you from not being you know active in it it's like well yeah you just have to pay a little more attention to like what you put in your body your sleep like totally rest and like, those are the things that i found like you can be a little bit more cavalier when you're younger you can just be like whatever man i'm gonna eat a bunch of garbage and not sleep and i'll still like rebound just as well <clears throat> right 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 as opposed to yeah you know where you become more aware of that uh, and then you know when you're 17 years old or even when we had far less knowledge about sports like i just always love the story that's true I, I love the stories of you know players in the 60s and 70s that were like smoking in the locker rooms and eating like seven <laughs> cheeseburgers before they played and it's like how do you how did they do that i don't know i mean they're all pretty young too i mean but the, but the caliber of like what their output was is also far lower than like that's currently true. yeah yeah that's true <laughs> so that also <laughs> that also makes a lot of sense i'm sure those go hand in hand you know yeah exactly that's funny yeah I, i've been thinking a lot about because i'm still pretty i'm still like very active and you know i'm 34 now right but like but i'm in this weird phase where i'm starting to like i don't want to say feel old but i know i'm not young right yeah, you're you, well. You're in that precarious, you know, sort of <laughs> mi- middle aged where it's like you're turning. You know, you clearly your priorities have shifted 
um, from, you know, what you used to be when you were younger, but then you reckon with the fact that it's like, well, yeah, like I'm not as, you know, obviously as old as my, my parents. And so I'm still, you know, more mobile than them, but yeah, having to grapple with that, like, well, where does I, where do I sit? Like, I don't, I don't want to stop this stuff, so I'm not going to. Yeah. Why, why would you, I mean, what's the, like, I don't really see a reason to stop any physical activity unless it's like detrimental and, or just not something you want to do. <laughs> I don't, you yeah. know I mean? Cause like, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of, it's kind of a weird spot because I, I don't, I mean, well, and you I don't hi- feel, and, and like you, I don't feel old, but right. and you hike and you, and you hike a ton too. I mean, you do a lot of, you know, out, outdoors activities. So, and yeah, th- I mean, you can do that until you're, you know, 107. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can, I mean, you can pretty much do anything, for as long as you want to do it, I, it's just a matter of like, does your lifestyle keep up with it? You know what I mean? Like if you're like, like I said, if you're eating poorly and not sleeping, like it's going to be hard for you to like go run around and play basketball. Like it's just, yeah. It's, or it's going to just hurt way more. You're just not going to recover. And that's the thing that I found is like the recovery. It takes longer. Yeah. It takes longer, especially if you get hurt, like actually hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I've always, I've, I've always, lo- I've always loved the saying where, and I don't even know where this comes from, but like, you know, your lifestyle determines your death style. Oh like, God. Which, it's I mean, like, it's so cheesy, but then you're just like, Oh, well, I, I mean, I guess so. Yeah. It's like, if you're careless then yes, you, you, you will die this way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we like, you know, I don't, I don't, I would like to be mobile and active as long as I possibly can, which I don't really foresee there being a point where I'm not, you know, like yeah. to some extent, maybe it's not the same extent. Like, you know what I mean? Like maybe I'm not like competing in jujitsu tournaments or I'm not like, you know, climbing scary, scary thing. You know what I mean? Like, so it's all like relative, but then I think as you get older, you're also less inclined to want to take as many risks. That's something I've definitely found out from having a kid. I'm like, super paranoid now about risk yeah yeah you're like you're like i i enjoy this thing this whole thing called life and i, I want to be here for as long as yeah. possible which is really weird i don't no one told me that right like no one told me like yo you're gonna have a kid and then like have this new like excitement about life to the point where where you used to like kind of nonchalantly, like not really care, not, not, not care. Well, there were points in my life where I just didn't want to be alive, but right. I mean, to the point where you're like, yeah, you know, I can, you know, if I died, I, you know, yeah, I, I did it. I did it. <laughs> I did it, you know, but now you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, no, no, no I don't want to die. No, 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 no. Right. This is no, I don't want to die. And like, that's really fucked with me recently. I, I want to say it's like postpartum or something, but like, I definitely had some level of like, like mental s- switch go on where I'm like really focused on my mortality in a way that's like, I don't want to say a little bit disruptive, but I feel like that's something that happens when you become a parent, but no one really talks about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, espe- yeah. And especially too, with the, the notion that, I mean, I, I guess you could say this with most things in life, you know, people always focus on the positive side of things and, um, 
you the the struggle that you know women go through in regards to okay this is what you have to do in order to you know raise a healthy and successful child you need to you know follow this 10 point program you need to you know breastfeed and all these other things and then the undue stress that um you know it puts on people that don't fit into those you know listicles of like you have to do these things and yeah it just you know <laughs> it makes you reevaluate everything where it's just like oh yeah none of us have any idea what we're really doing we're just trying our best yeah, I mean, totally. Yeah. And, and did you feel like, I guess kind of in part of that, did you feel like, you know, as you were, you know, watching your, you know, significant other start to, you know, experience all the, the pains of pregnancy and everything that, uh, it goes along with it, you know, how, like, did you, I'm sure in many respects, you've probably felt, you know, helpless and are just like, Hey, I'm just trying to, trying to help you, but I, there's only so much I can do. Yeah. I mean, I kind of felt pretty not involved to be honest, probably until like I really started taking care of her. Like I'm the, her main caretaker now. Right. Like it's pretty easy for guys to kind of like be, I don't want to say aloof, but like not as connected in a way because you can kind of like, unless you're just super gung ho and you're like, you can kind of like ride on the outside. Oh, and t- like, totally. And like not be too involved, but that just, that didn't happen to me. Not that I was like trying to, but it, it's a different, it was like, as soon as I started taking care of her on like a daily basis, I developed a relationship with her that was different from what I would have had, had I been normal dad nine to five. So I think I experienced a little more of what like a, a traditional role of a woman would kind of like, where you're like, I take care of this thing eight to 10 hours a day, feed it, change its diapers, hang out with it, entertain it, you know, nap with it. And like you develop this like close knit connection that probably might take a little bit longer for me if had I been like in the traditional dad role of like I'm working nine to five and I took two weeks off and that's it. Like, so I like wasn't necessarily prepared for the amount that I was going to like be emotionally invested. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, not that I like didn't think I would, but like, I don't know. It's like not something that people talk about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, like it's totally. it's all about the sleep and it's all about all the dumb shit that's like not helpful and not enough about the like, yo, you're going to like be connected to something in a way that like you might not even have been connected to yourself or your significant other. Mm-hmm. And it's going to like change the way in which you look at the world. And that can also spark like certain anxieties and, and you know, uh, it's just a very different journey than I think people talk about. Yeah. Well, I, and and I think, I think to your point, it's because most people experience what you're talking about where it's like the, you know, the, the central male figure doesn't, you know, I mean, it's hard, especially if you're talking about it from the perspective of, you know, we don't, we as males do not supply a child anything beyond, you know, change. (laughs) I mean, like we don't, you know, like we obviously don't breastfeed, like there's nothing beyond just like the sort of, Hey, I'll change your diaper and like, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll do this. But you know, we're, 
I remember it's like, yeah. my, you know, when my wife, you know, had our son, like she, you know, she had a, a horrible, you know, vaginal tear that like put her in bed for, gosh, it was, yeah. like, it was like three or four weeks. And so I just remember that, that feeling of alienation <laughs> where I was like, yes, I was, I was, yeah, I was looking at my, yeah. ki- I was looking at my kid and being like, dude, Who are- you, what? you hurt my wife. And like, yeah, I know I love you, but like, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, right. Like you suck. And yeah, it's just, it's so weird. Yeah, no, I had that feeling too. So beginning, I mean, Priscilla had like a double hemorrhage and she was like messed up and she was, she was recovering from that. Her labor was 58 hours long. Like, and then she had, um, a lip tongue tie so she couldn't breastfeed. And it was just like the first month was kind of like insane. And I wasn't really, I wasn't really like, I don't want to say, I wasn't having a bad time, but I was like not connected to like the child in any way, even a little bit like, yo, this kind of (laughs) sucks to be honest. Totally. And, you know, obviously that passes, but it was, it's like, no one really talks about those mental things you go into, you know, at all. Like it, I mean, you as a human being, the male animal is sort of designed to like get someone pregnant, maybe provide for the family and then sort of move on and like keep going. And it's so it's like, of course, at a basis level, like instinctually, there might be like a rub between what is socially acceptable and modern, like mental wishing versus like just plain like guttural like yo like i'm an animal and that's one thing i've learned so much about in the last couple months is like humans are animals (laughs) when we forget that we're animals we're actually at a disadvantage for like understanding our own mental abilities and i and like we are disconnect ourselves from like nature when we really are just animals with a conscious mm-hmm. ability to be conscious of our own consciousness. And like, that's what makes us really special, but it doesn't make us not animals. So like sometimes when we can just be it and be like, man, like this is the animalistic side of me just doing what it does. And I have to like allow that to be part of it. Cause if I try to like suppress it or if I try to even like shame myself for it, you're just going to end up in even worse places. Oh, absolutely. Totally. And did you, um, cause you, you were, if I'm, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but like you were recording like mm-hmm. when Priscilla was a cut, like, I mean, she, she was like two weeks post. Right. Probably. Right. It was like you, you were probably in this weird suspend, yeah. suspended state of animation. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it definitely is like, but, but even that wasn't, that was like normal, you know, for me, it, it got weird. Like I said, when I like developed a relationship with her, cause it's like, I've never liked anything as much as her in my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. it's like a really overwhelming, really cool, but also kind of scary. Like, I think for me, responsibility is a bad word, but like, most people use the word responsibility, but I use the word like connection. Like I have a really high stakes relationship with her. If that makes sense. Like there's 
high. The, the stakes are high mm-hmm. between my relationship with her, her well-being, my well-being, how I interact with her, like more so higher than any other relationship I've ever had in my life. Because every other relationship I've had in my life, <clears throat> even if they're high stakes, I can, I can uh, pretty much like kind of walk away from them. What's funny though is that there are people who wouldn't necessarily feel that way about their children. Because I remember I was talking like one of my teachers like talking about this. She's, they're like, yeah, you know, and actually, there's a lot of people that don't feel they have a high stakes relationship with their children. Um, and because I think of my relationship with my parents, I'm so motivated to like almost go above and beyond. So I have this very like overly committed commitment (laughs) to my kid, which is really good. But it's also like kind of scary because it's the only one of the relationships I'm like, yo, like worst comes to worst. Like I'm not going anywhere. Like, you know, if even if my marriage falls apart or even if my, you know, family members pass away or all these things, like this is the one thing that I would like to like give my life for, if that makes sense. And that's like a really like crazy place to be going from, I don't know, just a normal person kind of kicking around, just like doing their thing and going out to dinner and <laughs> playing music. And <laughs> then you're thrust into this like crazy, awesome, amazing relationship. That's hard because it's so meaningful, if that makes sense. I don't, you know, some of it I just don't really understand yet because it's still so new. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, I mean, the whole, yeah, the whole, the whole thing is, is so bizarre and it, it changes, <laughs> it, it changes and evolves over time. And I, it, the thing that I always reflect on is just how um, interesting it is for, you know, people of our generation that are involved in a subculture that is so, you know, youth centered and youth oriented. Mm. And, th- and then also, you know, people like you and I who have stayed active and involved in it, um, you know, how, you know, we still feel like the, you know, 15 year old kids. And, you know, I guess there's some of that that happens within the context of normal society as well. But like the idea of having a kid still, I mean, my son's almost seven and I'm just always like, that's so weird. I'm a dad. (laughs) It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't. uh, Yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't add up. Um, you know, internally, but then at the same time, I think, you know, we are, um, you know, better equipped to dive in, like, you know, even though it may be, you know, scary, intimidating, whatever adjective you want to put on in front of it to dive in. And like you said, create, you know, be the person that is there and, you know, be a, you know, quote unquote, stay at home dad and like have no preconceived notions about that. Uh, you know, it's like, Oh, like you're not the guy, you know, bringing home the bacon or whatever, all those stupid archetypes, you know, but you're able to dive in and be emotionally ready because you've been, you know, emotionally ready for putting yourself up on stage. Well, not, maybe not ready, but like emotionally available to put yourself on stage, yeah, yeah. you know? That's true. Yeah. I was available to, yeah, it's, it's a very, you know, and like I'm only what I'm almost eight months in. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, she's only going to get, I'm only, and this scary thing for me is like, I'm only going to get more connected to her. Cause I'm only going to be able to like communicate with her 
deeper and like <laughs> yeah. that's also like oh god because my thing is like the more connected i am to something or someone the more afraid i am to lose it so there's a lot of play there where i'm like oh god yeah. did i really want to do this because now i'm like now i got a lot to lose and that's like to me that's that's like a difficult was a difficult thing to sort of like or still is just like be in the situation from before where I'm like, you know what? I don't really have that much to lose. I got a one bedroom apartment. I got some dogs. I got a, I got a, a wife, you know, I mean, yeah, I got the band, but like, that's always in the state of like flux. I've already, I've also kind of always looked at that as something I'm going to lose anyways for years. Cause everyone's always doing that. So you know what I mean? And like, you're just like, <clears throat> now you got this thing. You're like, man, like, I don't, I don't want to lose this. And like, it's actually my job instinctually as an animal to like, that's sort of the headspace I'm supposed to be in is take care of this thing at all costs type like mentality. But on more of like an emotional level, I'm like, yeah, I really, really don't want to lose this thing. Meaning like even my mortality, like I don't want to miss out on this person's life Mm -hmm. i'm more concerned with my mortality than hers i think my wife is more concerned with like we got to keep her alive you know yeah i kind of i kind of have a little bit more faith in um the baby as like don't worry she you know she knows what she needs like she she's gonna keep her she's gonna help us keep her alive yeah i'm more concerned like yeah like i kind of like stop rock climbing i kind of like you know, I'm kind of like scared to go on tour. Like I'm like kind of like in a real, like, like almost like what about Bob days? <laughs> right. Right. Well, you, I mean, cause, cause like theoretically, you know, the quote unquote way things are supposed to go is, you know, you're no, no parent is, a, is supposed to bury their child, you know, Correct. that that's not how. And so like, yeah, your mind, your mind does not go to the, uh, you know, even with presented, I mean, you know, I mean, the even with presented with a circumstance in which, you know, your child has health issues, um, you know, you still do everything possible in order to make sure that that obviously, you know, does not happen. And so, yeah, I understand the faith component of it where it's like, oh, yeah, but then, yeah, all you do is look at yourself and be like, all right, what can I do to like, yeah, I'm gonna. I want to be here for as long as possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but I, I don't even think. I think just so that you can like enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like also like there's like I don't know. It's really like there's so much to it that like it's so strange that nobody talks about these components of like the relational. <laughs> like thing that you develop with your children. It's not just all I ever heard literally was, man, get your sleep now. Like, you know, make sure like you, you do this and you got to do that and this, but they, no one's ever like, Hey man, so just like, let you know, you might like freak out for like a good six to 12 months about developing a relationship with this thing that you made out of nothing. Like, right. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it's no, totally. It's so dumb too because, like, I you know, I was actually I remember when uh you know the producer of your record, Bo, who you know, longtime friend of mine, we you know, it was shortly after he had his first child, and we were discussing you know how we as touring musicians, like, if you've ever toured, you know what it's like to have a child. 
you like you don't sleep yeah, 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 yeah. you don't you don't yeah. sleep you have no idea like you know where you are going to be in regards to that but it's like for for a normal person who's like used to the you know eight hours of sleep or whatever and maybe hasn't done that like oh i haven't pulled an all-nighter since college and it's like yeah yeah oh like yeah <laughs> it's yeah. like you just feel like you're on tour you know <laughs> yeah yeah and that's why for me it hasn't been so much like like i'm also the like logistical guy in the band like i'm i'm I've run bands and tour managed bands and worked at record labels and dealt with a lot of like babysitting. So it's like, to me, that part of the job, I guess that's the thing I also got to remember too, is like everybody's so different because everyone's coming into being a parent from so many different aspects. Like on one level, I haven't been overwhelmed by the work. I've been overwhelmed by like the emotional connection that I've had because I've pretty much been void of that. I mean, other than my wife, like, you know, I have some close friends, but other than that, like, I'm not the kind of person that has like a network of like, like, you know what I mean? Like I didn't have this network of like really, really close friends that I had this relationship of like, you know, I die for you type thing. Yeah. No offense, to my, no offense to my friends, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, so developing that relationship with this thing that like, I made was way, way more, has been way more difficult to like wear than it has of like, oh, yo, you're going to get woken up at four in the morning. Like, you know what I mean? Like I did that. That's like kind of my life, our life. It's like, yeah, it's been more of the relational stuff that's been like really difficult for me. Whereas someone who maybe has like a more concrete like family system and like grew up really close and really connected with their parents and their siblings, um, they might feel like, oh my God, like this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Because for me, when I say it's the hardest thing I've ever done, I'm talking about something completely different than maybe right. someone else who's like, you know, like actually just like having the strength to like the work. Yeah, totally. The work. I'm just sort of used to like operating on like a, yo, you got to get 50 things done. Like yesterday, it's like, yo, I'm booking flights for everyone. And then I'm like paying taxes and I'm watching my baby and I'm doing my QuickBooks, sending out 1099s to everyone while posting on the internet about the new record and responding to things and like retweeting this, but then also (laughs) like, you know, making lunch. And then I went to jujitsu and it's like, so it's like for me as a person that's like kind of almost used work as a way to like get away from things it's been natural for me to just be like all right like just add the baby here and i'll just you know yeah I'll, deal I'll, with I'll, it. I'll tour i'll tour manage the situation <laughs> yeah we'll tour manage we'll figure it out it's not a big deal like she doesn't that she doesn't even need that much like i've dealt with i've dealt with many people <laughs> fans that need much more than my baby right <laughs> totally totally <laughs> she needs she needs milk sleep and like a little bit of entertainment like people in bands like man they need a lot more than that. Yeah. It's like, it, it, yeah, technically she's not getting a per diem, but like, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> no, not getting paid, but hold on. I actually have to grab her. I'll be right back. Oh my, I get to tell you about one of my favorite things I've probably ever got before away away is literally the best luggage that you will ever use. They offer high quality pieces of luggage that is designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way that you travel. It's unbelievably awesome. 
because they offer a variety of colors. It's lightweight and made with premium German polycarbonate that's unrivaled in strength and impact resistance. Trust me, this thing is not getting scrunched or broken into. And it features a TSA-approved combination lock, four 360-degree spinner wheels, and a patent-pending compression system to help overpackers. And both sides of the carry-on are able to charge anything that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge will power your iPhone five times. It's awesome. You can just basically sit there, plug in your phone, charge it from your suitcase. It's awesome. I have one of these, and I've traveled with it probably maybe about nine or ten times. And not only do I get compliments on it at the airport, which is ridiculous, like who compliments someone on a piece of luggage, but I've gotten multiple compliments and I just love packing with it because it's super versatile. Uh, You can pack for two people. You can pack for one person. I've used it for my kiddo and myself. And it's just it's great. It's I, I can't say anything more positive things about it. You need to buy this. And shipping is free within the lower 48 states. And what's even cooler, what's even cooler is they give you 100 days with it. You know, vibe with it, travel with it. And if at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund. And thanks to Away's lifetime guarantee, if anything breaks, they'll fix it. So you literally have nothing to lose. So let me get you $20 off. Go to awaytravel.com slash words and use the promo code words doing checkout. Please, I want to give you $20 off this amazing suitcase. Away to travel.com slash words promo code words for $20 off your away suitcase. I love this. Buy it. Okay. Bye. Well, we got like 35 minutes of nap. So that's, that's good. That's good. (laughs) Not babies on the podcast, but (laughs) that's, that's, that's completely fine. She'll be okay. But, uh, yeah, she's, I've dealt with artists, including people in my own band that are much needier than my baby. <laughs> it's amazing. The, um, you know, since you were, um, yeah, I, I had the luxury of listening to the record kind of, you know, as it was getting recorded and stuff like that. And it was, um, you know, I, I think the interesting thing, and I'm sure you've seen, you know, feedback from people that of the songs that you've released so far, where it's just like, you know, it's basically the amalgamation of everything that, you know, Census Fail has always kind of been in regards to, you know, the, the catchy nature of it. But then it also still retains the heaviness that you've done in the past couple records. I'm sure it's just super fun to be like, oh, yeah, like I can combine both of these things and it's totally it's totally great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of like the risk Census Fail has taken because we now leaves us in this position where we can like kind of do a bunch of different things and like we're not pigeonholed and we can sort of surprise people and keep things interesting and like that gives us that gives us like an ability that not every band has whereas I don't know I never really expected I'd be doing this now like because it's like man it's hard to keep people I don't want to say interested. It's a bad word. I think like invested. Yes. I think invested in music that they listened to when they were young to continue on to listen to for the rest of their life. Like that is, that is, I don't want to say it takes work. It sort of takes luck work, taking risks, but then also just being brutally honest. Like it takes a lot to 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 do that 
And some of the ups and downs that we've put the band through have sort of almost been to get in this position. Because like if we had never gone and done some heavier stuff, then coming back and doing this right now wouldn't feel like a breath of fresh air. It would feel like, oh, well, you know, kind of been doing this for the last 17 years, 16 years. Like, eh, you know, it is what it is. But it's like having been able to showcase different sides of like writing and then come back and like being versatile and, and like being open to just like not necessarily – always doing it for success or money or whatever, like kind of almost opens you up to then people being like, you know what? I really appreciate this band. And like, uh, it's, that's what you want. You want people invested in you beyond what you are musically. And that's, I don't know. I don't really know. You just got to like, you got to like take risks and be yourself and have an opinion. And it's almost like as stupid as it sounds, it's almost like when a wrestler gets popular, like, like a wrestlers, I've, everything I do now is based on wrestling. It's like wrestlers go through so many character changes and change their styles and change whether they're heel or they're like face and they go through ups and downs and some programs don't work and like, but they have these long careers and people are invested in them, not in their character, but in like the person behind the character. Someone like Chris Jericho is right. a good example. Like he's just an awesome wrestler, but he's also all around just someone that's like, you're like, yeah, this guy's cool. And like, I want to like, I want to see what he does not just in wrestling, but like in his life. And like nowadays you kind of got to like have something behind whatever it is you're doing. You can't just be like the wrestler or the football player. People are like, want more, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, no, no, I, I think it's that like we were talking about earlier where it's like, you know, being involved in in a youth subculture, your, you know, your band theoretically, like, you know, you, you guys are, are death warmed over like three or four times. You know? <laughs> oh God. You know? That's what I mean. Like right. the youth culture, which is what I wanted this record to be. And I'm really stoked that like Bo and I were able to accomplish this and Gavin, but like we want to be youthy and angsty, but mature. And I want to like, give the people that have been listening to us like that sense of like wonder and angst that they had when they were 16, but like not in a lame way, but in a way that's like, Oh yeah, I'm 32. And like, I'm not dead. And I still like this. And like, I'm not like past my ability to like be stoked about music. And you know, cause a lot of bands, I don't want to say they give up. I mean, they, they definitely give up and I don't think their fans necessarily do. I think there's this perception that like people age out of music, but like I haven't aged out of like David Bazan, you know, like I didn't just say, yeah, you know, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm like 34 and you know, David Bazan something I listened to when I was like 24. I, I can't listen to this anymore. Like, <laughs> Yeah, totally. people don't do that. People don't do that. I think artists age themselves out for a variety of different reasons, sort of thinking that they can't just like connect with their fans like they used to, but they can. I just, it just takes a level of effort and like purposefulness 
You know what I mean? Like to do that. And, you know, as you talk with and write with more people and like, you realize not everybody's so interested in sort of that connection with their fans. They're sort of more interested in like self-serving purposes, which the last two records absolutely were for me. (laughs) Um, Right. Totally. Yeah. You were just, well, I, I mean, I think it's like when you have the ability to do what you've done, where it's like, you know, taking census fail from, you know, the, the, the beginnings of where it, you know, worked as a traditional, you know, band. And then once it phased over to the fact of just like, well, yeah, you're the singular voice. Like, yes, it's known as census fail. And, you know, that is what it is and what it always will be. But once you were able to, you know, use this essentially, as a you know a vanity project and i don't mean that yeah. in a, in a no, no 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 yeah yeah i mean that's you know, yeah you you, you can do you can do your own thing and the, like the ability to just release two super heavy records and be like all right chew on that it's like who you know all it, in a way it was purging the people who simply just interacted with you as this you know entertainer and that's kind of it yeah yeah that's true and then now now it's like oh wow like i can i can listen to this and still be like totally down with it even though i may have hated the last two records or you know vice versa where they like the last two records and they're like oh there's still enough in there where i can get into it yeah 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 i mean and you gotta be like you just you just have to be willing to take risks too because i think people also like relate to like you're never gonna like write a great record if you're not willing to take the risk of like writing a great record. That I don't really know what that means, but it makes sense in my head. It's like if you don't spend the time and like effort, I mean, on like a level of every little detail, you're just not even gonna. You're not even gonna be. You're not even gonna be in the game if that makes sense it's like and a lot of bands nowadays for whatever reason for a lot of different reasons i mean also too because it's just me i'm not working with five other people who have different opinions of what sets and fail should be and that's really what happens with a lot of bands it's like guys like it's really hard for four or five or however many people to like be on the same page from the time they were 17 into their thirties and forties, it's like you got people pulling things in all different directions and like, it's hard to do with me. It's like, Hey, I want to do this and this is what I want to do. And there's no one else going. Yeah. I mean, I like this is, this is catchy, but maybe we should try to do something more mature. Maybe we should have more of this. It's just sort of like, here's my vision for census fail. And it makes it, a little bit easier to accomplish that than say if we had a band, mm-hmm. I mean, on, you know, yeah. honest or, 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 or opposing opinions of what census fail should be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like wrong, wrong or right. That those are, like you said, where the divisions happen and even not even, it doesn't even have to be a division from a stylistic perspective. It can just be a division in regards to, oh, I'm quitting the band because I have to go to school. Like, yeah. <laughs> And, and you, you know, you deal with that, but on a, a level where you're able to, you know, either mitigate or control that because you're just like, well, you know, I, I can't get too attached to this because, you know, I am literally paying you like an employee and I don't mean to make that sound simply transactional, yeah. but the, you know, that's, that's what it is. And I, I think, you know, because of that people can, you know, it, it's not, 
it's not easy to get to a position of what you're in now. Like obviously you, you arrive there through you know, a million different <laughs> yeah. channels. So it's, it's not like anyone could yeah. be like, Hey buddy, can you give me advice for how to get to where you're at? You're like, no, that's not impossible. I mean, I mean, honestly, I'd say to, I'd say to people, it's like, I wouldn't be here if, if we had five people in the band, because it wouldn't be economically sustainable. So it's, it's yeah. hard, man. It's, it is not, like in this day and age, it is very hard to economically sustain five people's adult lives being in a band, but one person, absolutely. And like, that's sort of what I, I don't want to tell people to be solo artists, but like, it's, this is how I got here. Really. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, if it wasn't financially sustainable, it would be very hard to invest as much time, which means you're not able to invest as much effort which means the product and quality is not as good, which I think is what we're finding on like a level of, oh, you don't like that? I think we're finding on a level of like some smaller bands as we're seeing like, yo, why aren't bands like breaking through? Like what's going on here? Why are they not, why are they not writing records like Bleed American? Like, you know, where are those records? And the, the simple fact is like when you don't have as much time and you can't put in as much effort, you don't get out the quality of, you know what I mean? Of, of, I don't want to say product, but like the end product isn't, isn't bleed American, <laughs> you know? And like, right. It's, uh, you know, when we wrote still searching, we spent, I think we spent, uh, I don't know, a $220,000 and we didn't take a dime from it. You know, and that might've been kind of stupid, but we spent all that money on the record and we wrote and recorded that record over a period of like nine months of solid effort, but it like also shows. So it's like, I don't know. It's a really difficult situation that everyone's sort of in here where it's like when you get older, I mean, as when you're young, you're like, I'm living at home, whatever. Like what else do I have to do? But as you age and you're like priorities shift to like sustaining life, um, I don't know. I'm going to get you some milk. I'm warming it up. You know, you gotta, you gotta like find that balance and, like I said, it takes the risk. It takes the risk of like every time we go on tour, every time we put out records, I further kick the can down the road of the band. It's a risk as to like, is this going to like just fold? Like, cause we could just put these songs out and everyone could be like, yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for coming. Uh, it's been 16 years and we're done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, t- t- totally. Totally. Well, yeah. It's like once you, you know, the, the eggs are in the proverbial basket, you're like, well, I, you know, I've, I've got, and, and when I say no choice but to focus on this, it's not like you know you are a irredeemable human and you wouldn't be able to figure out anything else to do with your life. But it's just like, well, this is the way that this is pointing, so I have to explore this as much as possible. Yeah, and then had I not, I haven't been this invested in the band probably ever. But I also have so much more to lose now, so it's kind of like vice versa. I probably wouldn't have written such a good record had I not been as invested in like, yo, I got to like make this work for my family. Right. And like, right. You know, that, 
it's almost like like a contract year in like baseball or something like that. Like, <laughs> yo, I better, I gotta like get my shit together and I gotta fucking hit home runs. Right. I'll be it's a free like, agent. I'm, yeah, exactly. I gotta sign like a six, seven year contract. Cause that's the way somebody, Steve Evans told me when, you know, cause we knew nothing about making records and he'd made a lot of records, a lot of good ones. And we had no idea. We weren't we kind of stepped in our in lucky we were able to write songs together and he was able to sort of like manipulate them and make them better than they actually were but he was like you know you have to look at your record and recording process as like it's going to dictate the next five years of your life like because you're probably not going to put out a record for another three two to three years but like your who you are and what you're doing is is five years on a record. Like, even if you put another record out, it still takes time for people to hear it, digest it. Like, you know, right now people are are finally digested the record that come came out three years ago and now have opinions ranging from like it was really good to that was awful, and like now the next two years is this thing. So it's like you're really like five years out what is meaningful. So I looked at it as like, yo, this is like a contract year. We got to make this like special. This, this record has to be like, you know, better than every other record. Right. And if you don't even like shoot for that, you're probably not even going to come close. I mean, right. I know because we've done that. We've, I've written records that were like, yeah, you know, like it's good. We feel good about it. Is it better than the last one? Nah, right. Yeah. Maybe. But maybe. You know what I mean? And like, we weren't like, yo, this has to be this. And uh, when you do that, you're at least putting yourself in the headspace of like, okay, like we have an opportunity to write a record like that. What? Tripping.com? What is tripping.com? It's only the best and easiest way to book lodging when you're traveling. So did you know that the average family visits five websites when booking a vacation rental? That's absurd. Why are you going around the internet? Like, like it's 2001. It's ridiculous. You can spend less time planning your trip and more time chilling out with tripping.com. It is the number one site for vacation rentals. So with tripping.com, one search lets you filter, compare, and sort over 10 million available properties on trusted sites like Verbo, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, and tons more. And don't don't wonder if you're getting the best deal. You'll save an average of 18% per night by booking your vacation with Tripping.com. So please, don't forget, if you want to save time and money while booking the perfect vacation, go to Tripping.com slash words today. That's T-R-I-P-P-I-N-G dot com slash words. It's just so easy. I've used it multiple times now. And I like my wife and I are going to Milwaukee in a couple weeks. Book something on tripping.com. It's amazing. Super simple. Super easy. You don't need to go to 5,000 different websites. Please go to tripping.com slash words and enjoy your trip. No stress. All right. Now on with the show. Well, and I, I think, you know, that something that, you know, kind of occurs to me as you're, you're laying this out to me, you, you know, you, you push yourself in, you know, many dis- different circumstances and, you know, you worked with people you hadn't worked with, you know, sort of, uh, you know, officially, uh, you know, and working with Bo and stuff like that. But the, the thing that, you know, m- makes me, you know, feel 
excited about how positively people are, are reacting to this is the fact that you, you know, cause I mean, you've seen this happen a million times where, you know, bands feel like they're in the position that you're in where it's like, we got to make this next record pop. So you're working with like, you know, this insanely expensive producer and like, you know, you, you get, you get to play this game of like, all right, we got to get on the radio. We got to do this. We yeah, got to do that. Yeah. And like, but you, you know, you obviously didn't do that, but you knew that you needed to, you know, get this on a, a you know, a, a wider plane, but you still worked with people that you were, you know, comfortable with and you had to have this, you know, uh, ability to work in a comfortable system. So it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's cool because that, that, that structure can work. Like you don't, you know, bands don't need no, to feel- No, I mean, Mark Trombino wasn't Mark Trombino when they recorded Bleeding, Bleed American. You right. know what I mean? Like, or, or like a lot of these guys, like, Jerry Finn wasn't Jerry Finn when he recorded Dear You or anything. Like everybody is in a position where they're capable, but people don't understand producers don't make records. Bands make records and producers make them better. It's like if what you're walking into the studio with is not good, really good producers will make it good. And if you bring in amazing shit, really good producers will make it classic and timeless. And it's like, I've been in on both sides where I've seen like us bring in garbage and really good producers come out with like, you know, this is tolerable. This is good census fail. But like when we brought McTurnan, you know, fucking gold, we made fucking timeless records. Same thing with Steve Evans. But like, you know, when we brought in, <laughs> you know, garbage, we made it tolerable and (laughs) right you know what i mean so it's like it's a little bit of both like it's a little bit of both everybody's got to do their part like it's really hard for a producer or even a a writer to like just make something that's not there there but if you do already have like something there it's sort of easy. I mean, this was not a hard record to make. It was not hard. It was not difficult. I didn't, we didn't labor around going, what are we going to do? You know, it was like, yo, that's sick. Let's do that. That's awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. Totally. There wasn't this like anguishing process of like, we don't, we, 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 we sat on this bridge for weeks and we couldn't figure out what to do. And then finally he played this note and it was like magic. It was like, no, we like went, and we're like yo that's sick and i went and i was like you know it'd be cool these lyrics that i had like written over here and that was it it's (laughs) right right good i don't think good music good music music isn't like complex mathematics it's not like goodwill hunting where it's like yo someone's got to figure this out it should it should be natural and easy (laughs) totally Here's the math. Here's the math equation that will get you the song of the year. Totally, totally. You know, if it's hard, it's probably not very good, and that's just my experience. Maybe other people's experience are different, but like my experience has always been like, yo, if we're sitting around worrying about why we can't figure out the transition to the bridge, let's just write another bridge. Yeah. Or like, let's just write another part. Like, and that's something that I learned about songwriting you know, over 16 years is like, it should just flow. And if it doesn't flow, it's probably not good. And it probably is not going to sound good or feel good because the audience is going to go, I don't know why, but that part just seems weird, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and that's not to say there's no hard work, but it's just like, 
the hard work should be in continuing to write parts when they don't feel good, not necessarily just trying to jam that part into the song because like, and this is where the band thing plays a big role. If the guitar player is in love with the guitar, Bo and I talk about this all the time. If the guitar player is in love with that guitar part and it's just not working for the vocals, when the producer of the band goes, yeah, this isn't working, the guitar player is going to fight for that guitar part. Right. He's like, I'm you not getting rid of this. Yeah, yeah. You end up with a song that could have been better but wasn't because of this. Or, or like you're not exploring different options because – Everybody's got a hold on their one part that they need or like songs will make records because people have a solo on it or like, I mean, it's just the, so what I mean sometimes is like when you are the only person in the band, you're not running into roadblocks of like that, you know, I'm not sitting there going, man, you know what? Like that guitar part has to be on the record because I wrote it. (laughs) like not that I would have an ego in a band like that, but like when you're young, like it's hard to like let that go. And, and you, I bet you'd be amazed about like how many bands and how many songs that could have been great songs never even materialized because there's that dynamic of like, I'm not, uh, we're not, we're not even gonna put the song on the record because you know, Joey doesn't like the way that the drums sound. And it's like, are we going to have a whole argument about it that's going to break up the band or are we just going to like ditch that song? <laughs> right, totally. What's what's the easier of two options? And uh, it's something that will, you know, we'll actually be able to release this record. <laughs> and, and then that's the stuff you learn along the way. And like, but that's where a good producer comes in. And like, you know, someone like Bo probably steps in and goes, hey, guys, like this part sucks. Like if you, you know, but then even again, like the producer's got to worry about his role and his job, too, because don't he's overstep. Not, he's not, yeah. yeah, he's not only working for the band, but he's also working for the label. You right. know? So it's like a precarious situation of like, you know, I got to make sure this band trusts me, but I'm also trying to deliver something so that like the label trusts me. Yeah. Um, well, and which you, is a whole different game. Right. Totally. Well, and you always you always want to, you know, ultimately, yep. uh, yeah, they, <laughs> you you have to put put it through all these filters where it's like all right, like, you know, is this the band's feedback? Is this the label's feedback? Like, how important is it? <laughs> and what, what what ultimately do I feel will serve the record best? Because I think at the end of the day, that's all that everybody wants, you know? And Yeah, I mean, everybody's going for the same goal just from a million different angles. And, like, the more cooks you have in the kitchen, I personally think the worse it makes. I've had, like, two cooks, and I've had, like, 15 cooks. And when there were more cooks, it... It just didn't, it didn't help. It didn't make anything better. Yeah. But that's a problem is like, if you got two stupid cooks in the kitchen, then yeah, it's not going to be good either. So <laughs> that's also not to say <laughs> yeah. like, you totally. know what I mean? Like totally, you gotta, you gotta, but, you gotta find the trusted people around you. That's for sure. It's a, it's a hard world to make music in as a rock band. because like, you're culturally not really relevant right now. And that was also something that I, I took into consideration too. It's like, yo, the music I'm making, what the music I'm making isn't even culturally relevant. So like, what can I do to make it culturally relevant? And like, I kind of like had this millennial angst idea of like, 
well, I fucking hate baby boomers and I've always fucking hated baby boomers. And like now that I'm 30, that hasn't changed. And I'm actually probably more angry about them and my situation because of them now than I was when I was like 18. So I bet there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way. So like, why not base a record around like having a kid and dealing with that and dealing with loss and dealing with drug addiction and dealing with some socio-political stuff in a way that's not political, but more social commentary. And that was my guess of like, maybe this is how I can take this music and make it culturally relevant rather than, you know, I mean like I listen to Cardi B and I listen to like what's culturally relevant and I know census fail isn't anything near that. So I got to be realistic too. Like how can I, be honest for to what to who and what I am and not like chase a trend, but also like not just be like, yeah, I'm just going to write records about killing girls. You right. know? <laughs> totally. Dude. Cause it's not, not cool either. That's not going to fucking work. That's not like, it's not 2002. That's not tolerable. And that's not going to, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, you, yeah you that was also like a conversation with Bo and I would have I'm like, well, what can we do to like, make this real and relatable and relevant without being like, yeah, let's throw a trap verse in, you right. know, like I'm not going to fucking do that. Like I'm not, right. I'm not an asshole. I'm not going to fucking like make trap music cause trap music is cool now, you know? But I do think the cool thing is there is a lot of that culture that's sort of interested in the nostalgic emo sort of like, self-hate and sadness culture which kind of just times out perfectly for me <laughs> right 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 totally um la- la- last two things i want to hit on before i let you go was what you you moved to arizona you've been out there now for what like okay okay she- what is that about <laughs> got something to say yeah i understand and that that's the thing too where they they don't have words to communicate so all they can do is yell obviously yeah, we're in that phase, you know, in the yelling. We're in the like, oh, I can yell? And you're going to like come over and go, what do you want? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I don't have to like cry and do the whole big thing. I could just like <laughs> blood-curdling scream? Yeah. That's a lot easier for me emotionally to just scream once rather than do like a whole cry thing. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, we moved to Arizona. I envisioned my life being like, sedentary and like oh, I bought a house and I got a kid and I'm going to stay here forever. And no, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to be that person. Cause <clears throat> so finds out we have to move back to LA for like five months so that Priscilla can finish school. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Like, yeah, you're, you're kind of like, this is my goal is like, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to live here. I'm going to live on a cul-de-sac and I'm going to be here for 30 years. And like now the, like, reality of that is like probably pretty small (laughs) (laughs) right 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 yeah i think things change things change (laughs) and i guess i don't know i have this vision of like yeah you have a kid you settle down and that's it but like one that's not me and two like i don't even know if that's like real life anymore yeah. I mean, well, you just moved, but you've been in the same place forever and you've been pretty sedentary. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I've always built my life around the, the, the notion that this is a desire of mine and I want to be able to dip in and out of the, you know, touring lifestyle when it makes sense. But like, yeah. but yeah, it, it doesn't, I mean, a lot of the times, especially when you're pursuing, 
you know, a, but, a, a life of art, uh, you have, you, you have to be used to the change and to, yeah, th- that's it. I mean, I, like I said, like I didn't necessarily know what was going to happen with the record, but we've had, you know, we have a lot of like opportunities. So I've been going back and forth. Like we're going to do a pop-up shop with donut friend and Gisados and like, have like a, an art show with Jared Wiener and like raffle that stuff off for charity. And they're going to have, I think Lyman might get involved with some of St. Archer stuff and for the release of the record. And so we're doing that. And then we're going to do like, um, we're doing this thing at the hard rock casino. Oh, we got, I'm doing emo night. And like we had to find a new drummer. We had to shoot a video and like, I couldn't afford living in LA. Right. And it's like, I have to be there. So it's like, that's kind of why I moved here. Right. Cause it's like, yo, I don't want to live where my house can burn down. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. And does she, no, I don't want to live in the desert, but I, I kind of need to have access to like LA or New York, neither of which are really financially at this point in my life and my wife's life. Cause my wife is still sort of like, almost finishing a degree and like, isn't a hundred percent working. Like we just don't, we couldn't live in LA, but it's like, I have to be in LA all the time. Right. Especially when we're releasing a record, yeah. you know, and like, I didn't realize I'd be going back and forth so much. Cause like, I mean, last record, you know, was yeah. a release. We released it. It came out and you know, there wasn't as much like buzz or fanfare around it. We also didn't have a manager and like, so I'm like in LA every two weeks now. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, I don't even like feel like I live here because then I'm going to go on tour and then I'm going to come back here and then we're going to go to Peru and then I'm going to go on tour again and then we're going to go to the East Coast and then we got to move back to LA and, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's just moving, man. It's just moving. Well, at, at least at least it's exciting things that you're moving around for, you know, the, the, the promise of um, you know, Priscilla's degree. And then the fact that, yeah. you know, I mean, it's it, all good stuff. It's not like, yeah, yeah. No, it's not like we're moving around because of our, there's illnesses in the family, which is, you know, probably an inevitability as well. And like, yeah, you know, you yeah. do that when you need to do that because we all live. I mean, that's unfortunately the problem is like her parents, we didn't necessarily want to move away from family, but like we just couldn't afford, we don't want to, I didn't want to live out in the far reaches of the Valley you know, and burn like figuratively and literally, you know, like, uh, plus she has MS. So it's like just not even healthy to be in the like world there. So we had to do something, but it's like, there's not, you know, when you leave LA, there's not, you can go to Vegas that Vegas isn't really my scene. So, um, you know, it's kind of like, well, what's the next one? It was like Flagstaff. <laughs> yeah, or like, right. How about, yeah. How about Arizona? That's close enough. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, you know, I mean, like I like it. It's cool. And I was able to buy a house and I'm super thankful for that. And we have a home base and, um, yeah, we'll see, you'll, you'll see where that takes you in the future. See where that takes me. In the, yeah. I don't, I've never lived anywhere other than my childhood home for like three three or three years right that's been the cycle (laughs) yeah and it's just like i'm at some point gonna stop moving but like it's kind of weird you know i mean you know once they hit like five or six you gotta like go okay we're staying here 
Totally. You're like, well, yeah, I got to go to school and got it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't want to, you know, (laughs) you don't want to put them in, uh, you know, where they have to uh, develop a whole new group of friends each six months. It's like, that's not fun for anyone. You don't want to. I mean, if you have to do that because of like a really good opportunity or like another extenuating circumstance, you do it. But it's not like you're not like, well, I don't want to live here anymore. We're going to go here. I don't want to live here. We're going to go here. Like you don't do that. So we're still like years away from that, like situation so i think we're just gonna like enjoy the like fluidity of we could just go live here for like six months and it doesn't matter because she's a baby yeah totally totally you know um the last thing i want to hit on just because you you know i mean you mentioned it earlier and you know i know you've dabbled in it in regards to you know doing like the the quote-unquote dj you know emo nights and that sort of stuff and the um you know, I mean, I mean, obviously it makes sense for a person of your, you know, your pedigree to be asked to do these things. And, you know, I'm sure it's fun. And, you know, people have strong opinions on whether or not, you know, this uh, the whole emo night thing, uh, you know, it should be commercialized as it is or whatever. Um, I mean, I'm sure you're just looking at it as an opportunity to, you know, spread the word that eh, since it's failed, you know, like, yeah, yeah, we still exist. We still put out records like hopefully hopefully you remember. Yeah. Us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I- I kind of have mixed feelings on it as far as like people trying to like copyright and like be like, I can, you know, emo night is art. We're emo night. It's like, yeah, like I, whatever, man, you're playing a bunch of people's music. Like let's be realistic to what you're doing. (laughs) Right. You did have a decent idea, but that doesn't mean you own the like, like, yeah, the genre. No one's there because of you guys. They're there because of the bands that made this music and the connection to it. And this is one way that people can easily come out, connect with other people, listen to the music they love. And like, yeah, you know, um, so I'm all for it. But I also think there is a little level of like, you know, let's not get an ego about like, whose emo night is better or bigger or more important or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? That type of thing. Like as long as like everybody's super chill about like what it is that's happening. Yeah. What it is that's actually happening. Not this vague idea of like, well, we're curating this brand of lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. Like LA, New York bullshit. Um, that's not real. That's going to also, also is a fad because there will be a time when people are like, yeah, emo night. Yeah. yeah. See you later. Like just for whatever reason, because that's the reality of, of the world we live in and and that's going to happen to say it's not going to happen is ridiculous. So, um, you know, cash in while you can and do these things and, you know, people come out and have a good time. I mean, they're kind of fun. I mean, I don't, I don't mind them. Like I don't get up there and play cursive and hot water and you know, sunny day. I get up there and play like Avril Lavigne. Yeah, I know. She hates it. Avril Lavigne and like fucking simple plan. And I don't, you know, I kind of like get what it is. Whereas like, I think some people are coming from a different perspective of like, this isn't even emo. And it's like, that's like the old, the old, old man, Still, it's like, yo, it's like, you got to give that up. It's pretty much a catchphrase for pop music in the early to mid 2000s. So, <laughs> yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you could call it the aughts 
what, they just got called emo, okay? Like Kelly Clarkson wrote an emo song and it was popular. <laughs> yeah. You know so, what I mean? so it's like, totally. It, it, it just sort of like, that's just the catchphrase that happened. It made sense. It worked. And that's what stuck. Like trap music is right now what's popular. And like some of it's not even trap. You know what I mean? Or like you have Katy Perry doing trap music and she's not trap. You know what I mean? So it's like, it happens all every decade has a genre that defines it. And then pop stars and other people try to capitalize on that. And that was what the two thousands were early two thousands were emo music. So I kind of any, anything early two thousands kind of fits in my emo night playlist. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it makes, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, no, no matter what, you're always going to have, um, you know, people stake their corners in regards to the, you know, different genres of music and, you know, what classifies as this and what classifies as that. Um, you know, the, but like you said, the, the, you know, commercialization of it, I think that's, you know, understandably so. That's where people are just kind of like, oh, it's kind of weird. But like you said, also the fact that, you know, as long as these are, are, are relatively, you know, chill endeavors and people are, are doing it, you know, ostensibly for the right reasons then you know these these things can kind of coexist but yeah once you get into the uh the empire building of it all that's when you know i think people are just like yeah what are you what are you talking about because like you said it's you know it's built on it's built on a shifting foundation that like that that could change in six months and then you're done (laughs) yeah yeah then it's over and then like people will probably go see those bands play songs for the rest of their life but they're not going to go to emo night or maybe they will i don't know people still go to 80s night it's like to me it's always just been like 80s night ladies 80s how do you like make that yours versus the other person's you know what I- <laughs> you know it's like totally, totally ladies night at you know ladies 80s it's like but i came up with that mine spelled ladies with an actual eight right <laughs> you know and it's like yeah, sick, man. Like you're going to play 80s music, which is such a large genre of music and also like every other bar is doing it. I kind of envision it and it's kind of become that. It's like there's an emo night in every city as there should be since it was a defining genre for nationwide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Nationwide and like the funny thing is they do this shit in Europe all the time. Every time you go to Europe, the club turns into a rock dance club afterwards. Afterwards, yeah, exactly. So to me, it was like, oh, yeah, this finally got popular in America. A bunch of people getting drunk and just falling around to like rock music. Like I've been seeing that for like a decade in Europe. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) to me, it wasn't like this. It was like, oh, you finally caught on. Like, you know, America finally wants to listen to rock music out of the bar. Yeah, totally. It's like that's that that's that that's where people want to exist, and it's like, oh, okay, all right. That's 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 what they're doing right now. And then who knows? It, you know, it could be uh, a year later, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, yeah, emo night doesn't exist, but uh, Spice Girls night exists on a nationwide level, you know, or whatever. It's like it'll shift to something else, and that and that's what will happen. Yeah, I, I, there are people. Some of my friends are fucking like hate it. They think it's so stupid, like. Not people in bands, but like people that are fans that are like, you're going to go to emo night, but you won't go to see any of these bands that still play and like still are playing these songs, <laughs> which so, I think is really funny. That it, it's, it, it's the, the iron, the irony yeah. is definitely thick there where it's just like, 
So like you wouldn't go to support the actual band, but you would go to a room that is playing that actual band. But that speaks to like the popularity of the genre in that time frame. Yep. You know what I mean? Where it's like there were a lot of casual fans, which is why when we did Taste of Chaos, number one, there were 10,000 people at every show because it wasn't just like, you know, Ray who's into fucking the first step and being like straight edge, you know, yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, totally. Yo, this is like Joey. He's the quarterback and he also likes my chem and he's coming to the arena show. You know what I mean? Like that's the guy who's also going to go to emo night, but yep. he's not, he doesn't even know that my chem's not touring anymore. He doesn't fucking know, you know, like he doesn't know since it's failed, changed genres and then went back. Like he just might've heard the new song and you know, he went to emo night. Yep. So it's like, I kind of speaks to like the popularity of it of like, yeah, you have these people that like wouldn't be caught dead going to emo night, but they're also probably still involved in the music scene and going to shows and you know? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting cause it shines a light on like, cause now I have a perspective on how, what that, like when I was a part of it, I had no idea it was culturally or like, as big as it was. And like, I still would love someone or maybe me to do like a documentary on like the music on what that was and like why it happened and like how it happened. And then it's ultra ultimate sort of demise. And like, I just think it'd be cool. Cause you have a lot of like people that it's influenced, like, you know, like, like, um, like Lil Uzi is like a fan of Paramore. Like you have like Halsey, like, like senses fail. Like you have people that are like now big deal people that were influenced by this style of music, you know, which is super cool. So it it like clearly was something. And it, but now that you look at it, you're like, man, we were like, it was like being in a band in the like eighties, like being in like Metallica. It was the equivalent of that. But when you're in it, you you didn't feel like you were, you know, (laughs) totally. I'm just fucking some guy in a band and we're playing this fucking arena. And like, I don't know, you know, but now perspective, you're like, yo, like that was crazy. That's definitely not happening right now. <laughs> right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm just existing in an experience. And then only with perspective, you're able to look back and just be like, that was the, like, I don't even know how that could have happened. I guess. I mean, I'm glad I, it did, but like, I don't even know how that could have happened. Yeah. I think it's a perfect, I think I, and I said this in an interview recently, I guess this could be the last thing, but like the music mirrors what's going on culturally. So like, then it was like a bunch of people that were young impacted by nine 11. So it's like, as we all became of like age as like adults, we were faced with this like reality of like, yo, the world is like a fucking dangerous, shitty, scary place. At least that's what I took from it. And like putting that into perspective and like being that sort of like, companion for a generation was that musical style. Whereas like, you know, for Woodstock and stuff, it was about like expression and drug use. And like, that was the generation, like our generation, millennial generation pretty much is like bookended of nine 11, you know, like, like you can like see a definitive change in innocence 
ending on 9-11 and then like that genre of music rose to prominence because I think it like filled a a youth culture gap that like they're like, well, what are, how are we supposed to process the fact that like thousands of people died in an attack and now like a bunch of people are going to war and we have this president that we don't like and like how do we do how do we deal with that like and musically it was the perfect companion which is why i think now i don't think it's going to be emo music but i do think it's you're going to see you know for the obama years things were a little like you had mgmt you had a little more like dance music a little more like loosey goosey sort of like we don't need to listen to stuff that's that serious because you know i mean shit's good you know for the most part i mean it's not you know it wasn't obviously all good but there was a lot of like ease in the culture and now you're seeing like oh shit like people are going to start listening to more serious things again because we're in a position where for the most part millennials and youth culture is completely and utterly at odds with the government. I mean, as, as, as you really look at it, like pop culture is the opposite of what is happening on like a, uh, like a political movement now. So it's like, I feel like you'll have a rise in some more music. That's a little bit like, like you see with like Lil peep and like some of this shit, like that's like dark as fuck. A lot of that stuff, but that I think is going along and like highlighting this, you know, ebb and flow with what's happening on a political cultural level and like sort of letting people know like, yo, there's a lot of people that are like dying of drug addiction and like a lot of depressed shitty, you know, things going on in this world. And it's highlighted by our shitty president. And then you're going to have art that reflects that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the, uh, the art, the art that is truly, kind of cuts through and sort of transcends everything is sometimes stuff that isn't, you know, simply, and this is not being reductive, but that isn't reactionary to it. But, uh, you know, like, uh, like a movie get out where it's like, mm. I think, you know, the reason that that is captured, you know, such a, you know, momentum in regards to the way that people speak about it, as opposed to just like, Oh, it's just whatever. It's just a horror movie. So why even, why even really care about it is the fact that, you know, it came out, you know, it was filmed and everything was take you know, was taken care of before, you know, the current presidency. And it came out just at a time where it's like, Oh shit. Like I can't even like, this is like prescient. This is like, so on, on the moment. And it just happens to capture all of that without the context of, you know, being reactionary from it. Um, and it's just, yeah, yeah. But it, and you know, that's what makes it, you know, more, uh, you know, culturally valuable, but all of these other things that are reactions to the direct reactions to what we are experiencing are super interesting too. So I think I think it'll be really interesting for subculture music because I count like trap music as like an interesting subculture because it's not like some of the, this stuff is obviously going to be commercialized and popularized. But like from its essence of what it is, it's not very like commercially like dolled up and like it's kind of like stripped down, like aggressive. And it'll be interesting to see like what subcultures rise up in these next couple years as sort of like a direct or indirect reaction to like what's happening. So I think, and that's why I think like there is room for census fail and other bands to like step in there and like, you know, kind of be a voice for 
for that, you know, cause we need more people like maybe not being a hundred percent reactionary in like every single thing we talk about is, but just let you know, like, yeah, we're here and we're commenting on it and mm. we're just as upset as you are. And you can come to a census fail show and we can all like party on as, you know, mm. and we'll get through this. And that's sort of really the thing is like, we got through Bush. This is a lot scarier and different, but like, we're going to get through this. And ultimately I think it's going to spur a lot of interesting things like the Me Too movement, which wouldn't have happened had, you know, it just wouldn't have space for that. You wouldn't have the fire or the kindling like available. People would be like, yeah, you know, I mean, we need to do this, but like, do we need, we just have a woman as a president. Like, you know, everything's good. You know, whereas like, if you notice like last year when people were talking about, um, Casey Affleck, uh, in his uh, Manchester by the Sea and how he was accused. That was like talked about at nauseum, but never had the same movement. And now, like if that was right now, you would have seen him pretty much not win those nominations or have to deal with the consequences of it. And it's a different world now for better and for worse. I don't know if we can say that yet, but <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, because you're in the middle of it and you can't, you, yeah, you can't tell. But there are certain things where it's like you read about, you read about, and see certain instances, and you're kind of like, I don't know how I feel about that one, but I, <laughs> no, but no one does because we're in the middle of it, and no one knows how this is going to, you know, impact people positive, positively and negatively. To where it's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be as reactionary, or we shouldn't be, um, you know, as. Uh, uh, as precious about certain things, but you know, we won't know that until much later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As is always the case. So it'll be, uh, it's, I mean, it's still, it's a pretty interesting time to exist in, you know, in between, you know, it, within two presidents that were pretty much absolutely hated by subculture. Um, you know, we've been, this is this, we've been through, this is our second one. So it's this fails second one, hopefully our last, but, um, totally, you know, uh, but yeah, so, but, but, but yeah, you'll be, you'll be there to, uh, you know, yeah. ho- hopefully, hopefully be there, uh, if there's more uh, reaction to be had. So <laughs> I mean, at this point I feel like we made it like, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But like, I'm always of the opinion, like at some point, are people going to just be over it? But like now I feel like maybe we like turn the hill. I look at it as like bands, like we got out of our teenage years and we like graduated college and we have a degree now and like people take us seriously. The teenage years is hard as a band because that's like your fourth and fifth record when you're just kind of popping around. You're like, we used to be successful, but like our fans grew up. They're like 25 now. They don't really want to listen to this. We haven't swung back around in nostalgia. That's a tough time to be in. I think we finally like got out of it. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's true. Most of the growing pains you've, you know, you've, you've shed and now you can, you know, be more confident in what you're putting out there, which, you know, it, it reflects on this record. So way to go, buddy. Way to, way to I put out a good it. record. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, dude, thanks for hanging out. I appreciate you wanting to do this again. Thank you. No problem. That is what's up with Buddy Nielsen. Do you like that? I'm, I'm going to sing my outros now. No, that would be that would be terrible. Um, I got to tell you, I've been to some sweet shows lately, and I love music. Right? I just saw Phoebe Bridgers recently, and I just saw Sect recently with Die Young and some other friends. Nice little juxtaposition of light and soft. And uh, yeah, go to some shows. Right? I'm encouraging you. I'm 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 old. I I don't have to go to as many shows as I do, but I love it. So just want to encourage you to do it. And on a well, I was about to say on a complete side note, but no. 
bringing it back to the original subject, Buddy Nielsen, thank you very much. Like I said, go buy the Pure Noise release that they have out now. Please, 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 please. It's a really, really good record. And what do I got for you next week? I have Matt Scott, Scott, Scott Leone, Scott, Scott Align, Scott Align. That's what I think it is. Matt Scott Align from Hurry and Everyone Everywhere. Hurry is an awesome power pop band. Matt and I didn't know each other, but I felt like we became best friends by the end of the conversation. And it was super, super fun. So that's what we got next week. And uh, next week will be Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day in advance. Don't forget to buy your, your loved one something. Or you don't need to buy them something. Maybe just make them something. That's much nicer. So that's what we got for this week. And uh, yeah, have a safe rest of the week and please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.